This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder, balancing your life, alternative pathways, and more with one of my favorite veterinarians in the world, Dr. Amy Mole. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we're actually tackling a topic that's maybe not so tough or incredibly tough, depending on your perspective. And it really has to do with balancing everything. What really is a veterinarian these days? What are the alternative pathways? And we've got a fantastic veterinarian who has done some things that are, I think, quite remarkable, but pave a way for future veterinarians. So... Before we get into all of that, as always, I am Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And I'm really excited to introduce you guys to our guest. We have been trying to get her on the show forever because she has so much intelligent thought to contribute to a lot of the things we talk about on this show. So I am going to introduce you guys today to a a very good friend of mine, but also an amazing veterinarian who contributes to a lot of the CE or the education that you guys may take in on a daily basis and not even know it. So Dr. Amy Mole, you are probably in more people's lives than they even know. Is that right? I suppose you could look at it that way, though I never have. And it sounds kind of creepy. <laughs> it's just it totally creepy? creepy. She's not creeping anybody. But Dr. Amy is involved with Brief Media. And if you don't know what Brief Media is, you would know them more closely related to Clinician's Brief, um, what used to be Veterinary Team Brief. And this journal has been around for a long time. But before we get into all of that, I want to talk more about just your background, how you got here. We know you're a the Ohio State graduate, and I know that you live in my husband's hometown of Herndon, Virginia. So, but like, tell us a little bit more about yourself, Dr. Amy. Tell us how yeah. you got here today. Did you want to be a vet when you were little? I am one of those people. I wanted to be a vet since I was about four years old. Yes. I don't remember ever wanting to be anything else. I know. Isn't that so cool? Like, and Amy, I think it's kind of being lost, and I'm super grateful that I had the same experience that you did. It's like all I've ever known. So that's cool. Four years old. Absolutely. I had, and I knew I wanted to be a vet. I had no idea what being a vet could (laughs) mean and how many opportunities there were. Right, right. So, okay. So, so that's a good start. You've always wanted to do this because that's going to lead us to your eventual pathway. So how did you get there? So you're four years old, obviously you're not like (laughs) studying for exams, but so what, what was your pathway like early on in grade school and high school? Um, I was a science nerd. So all along, I biology was my favorite. I loved science in middle school, in high school. And then I, I wanted to be smart about my decision. So I did decide to go through a liberal arts program for college. I didn't want to commit myself in case I discovered something else I wanted to be. And back up just a second, because you were STEM before STEM was cool. It wasn't even yeah. a thing yes. back then. Like I mean, it wasn't a thing, a thing, but... So how did you do that? Like who inspired you or who motivated you and and sort of carried you through that process? Because, you know, as someone who's a little bit older than you, I mean, I know how that was a challenge for girls back then. You know, no one specifically asked me that question before. And looking back, I don't remember ever seeing it as a challenge. I never felt like because I was a girl, I couldn't pursue math. I couldn't pursue science. It was just the environment that I was in. Um, I think my family was very supportive. They, there are a lot of engineers in my family. And the thought that I wouldn't do something sciencey because it was interesting or what I was doing was just never anything that came across. 
Okay, so question on that point, then when you went to go get this liberal arts degree, what did your what did your science and math family feel about that? If they were all STEM background. Did they say you're never going to get a job with that kind of degree? What did, were they encouraging? Yeah, who wants to read and write? <laughs> right. You know, again, there, I never I never felt that. So I'm very lucky that in my family, my family, my grandparents supported college education for all of me and my cousins. And they were supportive of whatever we wanted to do and where we wanted to go. So I wow. wasn't the first to go to a liberal arts college, which helped. And, and so, Amy, again, not to to undermine, I think that your your family probably helped you guide you on this path because, you know, it is difficult, especially back in the day. There just weren't a lot of role models for young ladies that wanted to, to be in science. You know, you 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 helped start that and carve that pathway, I would argue, in many respects. But, I, you know, I'm really proud of you. And the other thing, too, if you're listening today, this week, this comes up you know, over and over again. But people that that really are successful, they don't see the barriers and obstacles. Like Amy just said, well, of course, of what, why wouldn't I be a science nerd? You know, who, who's to say I can't? And that's a really important distinction because I think sometimes in life, you know, when we're floundering about, you know, it's, it's are we following that passion and true intent? And Amy, I think you're just a great example of, of you knew what you were going to be from early on. And by golly, nobody was going to stop you. I really I agree with that, too. And, and I absolutely love that you say that. And it makes me think about um, like so your experiences growing up and, and who you were with and, and around were supporting you. But um, then when you packed up, you went to vet school. How, how did that feel? Was that a challenge you ever thought you would, you know, maybe not make it through? Or do you just have this plow through everything I, I see I'm going to make happen? Um, and how did that affect you in vet school? Vet school was challenging, and it was a different kind of challenging that I had experienced previously. But it was it was never a question of can I do this or not. It's a question of how how do I get it done? How do I get it done? <laughs> it's amazing, I love yeah. it. Yeah, I love that too. But and I want to get I want to touch back on that a second. But let me ask you this: getting back to high school, I mean, were you working in vet clinics? I mean, that's honestly this is the only job really I've ever had. I mean, I did work at a grocery store a little bit, and I washed some cars <laughs> one summer. But you know, I mean, you're did, one up on me. Wait, I, what did you do in the grocery store? Oh, I, I was a bagger. I was a bagger. I yes, just yes. Used that. And I and I actually got to stock shelves occasionally, which really helped me with sort of my moderate OCD because you know getting those cans and bags lined up perfectly. <laughs> it was very satisfying. But Amy, you didn't work in a vet clinic when you were in high school. I did work in a vet clinic. I never worked anywhere else. My okay. only job ever has yeah. been in veterinary medicine. So I started See, when I was 15. you're a sister. You're my sister. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's all we know, right? I mean, and, and, and heaven forbid if somehow we couldn't do this because, you know, well, I know what I would do. I'd do other things, but okay. So in high school, you're working in vets. Now, where is this liberal arts college that you uh, talk about? I went to Williams College in Western Massachusetts, which is a beautiful oh. small school in the mountains. <laughs> now, was that your grandparents? Did they encourage you to go there? I mean, that's a really good school. I So I'm from the Midwest. I finished high school in Ohio and the high school that I went to had a pretty solid community of Williams grads and our guidance wow. counselors were very supportive of liberal arts education. And I wanted to get out of the Midwest. Gotcha. So that's how you, I ended you up did. You did. You, you wound up at a beautiful campus. And I am sure that that really encouraged you to think creatively. So all throughout uh, undergrad, I'm assuming that you're doing a lot of writing, which we're going to get to in a second. You're doing a lot of creative pursuits, perhaps. You know, I never would have characterized what I was doing as creative, but I certainly was doing 
you know, every course we took there, you had to write and you had to learn how to write. So I was doing writing. I was sciencey and all of it and, and just sort of going through the process. So out of curiosity, you are now away from home, from the Midwest, right? You're up north and, and things are totally different. And your whole life, you've wanted to be a veterinarian. You say, like, you knew that. That's what you've always wanted to be. And you were working in the, the vet clinic, you know, that's all you've ever known. What was that like for you when you were in liberal arts school? Were you still feeling vet school in the back of your head? You know, you're doing this writing. Were you getting an itch for something different? Did you ever see a different path? So I... I tested a different path. I was definitely, I really liked the conservation biology, ecology aspects of some of the courses that I took. So my, my test to myself was my junior year. I had the opportunity to study abroad and I did that in a rainforest ecology field research based program. Cause I wanted to find out is, is field research an alternative that maybe would interest me. Loved the program. The answer was no. Okay. Okay. Very That's cool. Great. Yeah. So, so for me, my, my path was slightly different. I, I was always 100%, you know, micro hardcore science, but I was, you know, I was pursuing a lot of writing. You know, I got published in a poetry journal my freshman year, which is still to, I'm so proud of that, <laughs> still to this day. So I was always writing, you know, in fact, I used to joke that I'm a writer who's a veterinarian, <laughs> which, you know, sounded weird at the time, but these days it's a lot more common, I think, than, than that. So you go to Williams and then you get into the Ohio State Veterinary School and you graduate. And uh, then what? Well, I'm going to back up just a little bit because the, the start of my story really happened at Ohio State. I was in the class that started the local chapter of the Veterinary Business Management Association, the VBMA. Mm -hmm which is at, you know, all of the vet schools now. But yeah. back in the day when I was there, we were we were the third chapter, I believe, to start. Yeah, Penn was first. Penn was first. Yeah, Anna Rousseau. God bless you out there. Yep. So we, um, we, I had a couple classmates that we really got that started. And that was really formative to how I ended up where I am now. And how so? So looking at the different aspects of the veterinary profession. I had, I had come into vet school having always worked at one clinic and sort of filling every role at that clinic and had come into school thinking the medicine is great, but this is really about running a business and it is hard to run a business. Yeah. Right. So when the opportunity to get involved with the VBMA came up, I jumped right on it and I met some amazing people across the country I got to learn from some really fantastic teachers, including you, Ernie. You came, you were one of our first yep. speakers that came to Ohio State. Yep. Um, and it, it really opened my eyes to some of the other things that happen in the vet profession. And that included how we communicate, how we educate. And, and those were sort of where the seeds were planted of the of connecting those things to being a veterinarian. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that, you know, because back in that that time, and, and if you're not familiar, this is starting in 99 and 2000, 2001, this time frame. And, you know, we were going to these schools and, and we used to call it the Barnstormers Tour, but there was a, a little cadre of speakers. And, you know, here we were going to vet students and talking about, like I was talking about client communication, you know, and, and staff management and training. And you're kind of like going, is this landing, you know? So it's really nice to always hear, you know, people like yourself later that go, yeah, I kind of got what you were going for because, at the end of the day, these students, and, and I would argue it's still 
largely like this. They were not being exposed to the other parts of the profession. It was just basically, here's the science. It's all didactical. You know, there are some practical hands-on, but by golly, who wants to talk about client communication, staff training, staff management? Yeah. I didn't get into vet medicine for any of that. So see, I loved that piece. Of <laughs> yeah, right. I loved that That's piece great. of it coming in as a student. Um, and, and I owe that to the practice that I grew up in, I, who allowed me to work in so many different roles. That's wonderful. Well, I think it's important that they, to the effect of, they let you work in a lot of roles, but I know a lot of veterinary technicians, veterinary support staff members, um, veterinarians who have worked in a lot of different roles who have no idea about the business because the culture of the business is not to share it. And so it sounds like you were in a practice that helped you guys to understand the business of practice or to help you understand there was business behind it. So was that part of the clinic culture? Is that, or was it really something that you, you kind of realized there was this option for, um, these schools are opening up these VBMAs or where did that kind of aspect come in for you? So I, I vividly remember one summer and I can't remember if it was right before I started vet school or right after where I got to help, I say this like it was a fun thing, but I got to help evaluate all of our prices and figure out if it was time to raise prices and if we were marking things up appropriately. Like I, I just, I was there and willing and sitting down and going through that exercise in a process and in a practice just opened my eyes to, you could really mess it up if you're not paying attention yeah. and you're not being conscious in your decisions. And, that and most vets, most vets were, people. and they still are, Amy. That's oh, I know. I know. Well, and I am not the, you know, I, I'm a little bit pushy. So when my eyes were open a little, that's when I just sort of charge on and I'm like, I'm sure I drove my boss nuts. Can I do this? Can I change this? Can I get involved in this? And he was wonderful. And, and, still runs a really wonderful practice in, in letting me sort of overstep my bounds many times as I was discovering some of these things and, and learning sort of the ins and outs of some aspects of a business. Yeah, Amy, it, ba- it baffles me to this day how sometimes, I mean, I would say kudos to your old boss, because a lot of times when bosses, owners, managers are confronted with somebody who's ambitious and eager and opinionated, they tend to shut them down. You know, it's like, Hey, this is how we've been doing it. We don't need your help. Little whippersnapper. Plus who are you to tell us how to do this? You're not even a vet, you know, or whatever. And, and I really applaud that because those are the types of experiences that have shaped you into what you became. So let's now fast forward. You graduate from Ohio state. Then what happens? So I was still not sure where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do with my career, my fourth year. So I did pursue a private practice internship. I was at a really big private hospital for a rotating medicine surgery internship, which was an amazing experience. I was very careful in how I chose where I wanted to do my internship because I wanted to make sure there was a general practice component. I didn't want to come out of the internship and not know how to go work in a general practice if that's what I decided to do. Okay. So, so you do that for a year and then what happens? I do that for a year and then life gets in the way and I, my now husband, (laughs) then boyfriend decided to pursue a new career path and was in training for eight months and was going to be assigned to where he was going to live. So I didn't want to go settle somewhere waiting to find out anywhere in the country where he was going to end up. And what does he do? Uh, He's a, works in the federal government. 
Okay, so he's he, he's working for the government, so he doesn't he could literally go to any one of the fifty states or perhaps yes. a, a protectorate. So okay, right. and, so and you... no, we had no say in where. So right. I took right. that time after my internship to breathe a little bit um, because it's a very intense year, and then I I went back home and I did relief work while I waited to find out where we were going, and I actually went back to that practice that I grew up in and did some work there coming back as a doctor, which was a really interesting experience. That is a great story. How did you, I mean, how was it when you went back? Like, you know, you went, were there as a child, then you were there as a vet student and now you're there as a graduate. It was great. It was great. You know, there was a little, there were a few bumps in the road where, you know, people who had been working there as long as I had been in and out. And then I come in and I'm the doctor. It was a little bit awkward but I got to see some of the same clients that I had been seeing for a decade at that point. And it was really, it was really fun to go in. And I was pretty confident in my medicine after that internship year. So I was figuring out more the flow of being in a practice and being in general practice and not having a specialist in the back room every minute. Um, And and that was a great opportunity to do that. And I I did some work in some other hospitals too. So I I worked some emergency shifts in a different 24 hour setting. And it, it really just helped broaden my experience while we waited to figure out where our life was going. Okay. And then where did your life land? Life took us to Peoria, Illinois. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Well, I didn't see Are that coming. Are you sure life sent you there? <laughs> something sent us there. Yes. Penance. Yeah, you did something wrong in a previous life. No. Yes. So we Sorry, were there. Peoria. Sorry. Um, it's a it's a great little town, but it is a, a small town in the Midwest, which is what I had, you know, moved away from in high school. <laughs> so we went to Peoria. I actually I found a great practice. Um, it, it was a pair of owners and they owned two facilities in this fairly small town and really practiced great medicine, AHA accredited, um, really wonderful clientele. So I was really lucky that even though we got sent to this place that wasn't high on our list of where we wanted to go, I did find a good opportunity to sort of plant myself and work in practice. And so how we, long were you planted in Peoria? We were there four years and then four. we had the opportunity to move on. Um, so during those four years, I worked full time for the first three, three and a half years. And then I actually cut back to part-time before we knew we were moving. And why, why, what precipitated that move? Why? Um, the move to part-time? Yes. I just felt like practicing wasn't all that I wanted to do. At that time, I, I was getting a little burned out. You know, I right. had come from East Coast, 24-hour specialty care. Clients do a lot to small town, Illinois, closest referral is two and a half hours away. I spent a lot of time arguing with people that yes, a rabies vaccine is really important. It it just was a a big change. And I was tired. I was tired of doing that all the time. I was tired of a fairly long commute. I remember going into my boss's office and telling him I wanted to cut back and like crying at him. I just want to take a yoga class. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I was just ready for a little more flexibility. Gotcha. And they let you do this. So this is great. They did. It was great. So I think, okay, so I think where we're heading here is really important. And for me as a veterinary technician, I I guess I kind of want to ask you something here. Because what you did was you admitted to yourself that it wasn't working. And that's hard to do, right? Like, because this was something you wanted your whole life. You've worked very hard for. And 
without being a veterinarian, without having been with through what you guys have, I, from the outside, think that some of the burnout, some of the stress, even some of the suicide and depression could possibly be attributed to the fact that you put so much energy into getting here um, in the first place. But alternately, listening to you guys both earlier talking about how you always wanted to do this, like, I have had a million different careers before I finally said, this is, I really want to be a vet tech. I'm going to school. I'm going to be brave and do it. So I can picture another life for myself. I can picture doing something else because I've done something else. I I know how I feel about what I'm doing when I compare the things and I love what I do. But if this didn't work out for me in school, there was another life. And I think maybe your liberal arts degree helped, but like, do you guys agree with that? Like, is this something that's leading to this depression, suicide, stress? Like the fact that you guys, since your little kids want to do this and you can't picture yourself doing anything else. And then you get out and practice and it's not everything you thought it was going to be. And I, I cannot imagine you're alone in that, Dr. Amy. So like, is that, do you guys think that's part of it? I think that's absolutely part of it. You know, for me and for a lot of my classmates, at least, we spend our whole lives achieving to move to the next step. You know, you work really hard to get into a good college. You work really hard so that you're ready to go to vet school so you can get into vet school. You work really hard in vet school so that you can be a competent vet. Three or four years out, when I finally was, you know, settled into practice, had been working full time, it was kind of like, okay, do I stop? Like, what? what's the next step? What's the next achievement? And that, for me, is where the VBMA comes back in. That's where those connections that I had made as a student opened my eyes earlier, I think, than a lot of other people have the opportunity to see two alternatives still in the profession. Yeah, and Amy, I just want to piggyback on that. Becky, I, I think you're right on. I think the difference between perhaps Amy and myself and a lot of others is the ability to control the destiny. So for me, I worked at another clinic for 14 months and then started my first clinic, you know, and so uh, while I may have still felt some of the burnout or the the pangs of, of running your own business, I felt like I was in complete control. So I was always tweaking and improving and iterating. So, you know, I do think that 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 when people feel that they don't have control and Amy, you're you're getting double whammy because, you know, your husband is sort of, he's mobile and he doesn't know when the federal government's going to say, Hey, we need you now over here or over Mm -hmm. there or changing. So, you know, and you know that you can't really commit to Peoria, I would even argue, you know, because you know, this is most likely a very temporary stint. And so I think all those things cloud this issue, Becky, it's a really, really salient point. Um, And one of the things, Amy, we talk about a lot on this podcast is how these pathways play out for the future because my generation, you know, many of us did aspire. I mean, I'm kind of that last of that, that group that said, we're going to own our own clinics. You know, that was sort of our, our goal. Uh, and now that's not as, as prevalent. So Amy explain to, so now you get on the other side of this, you've built your whole life around this. And now you're starting to say, I want to take a yoga class. Exactly. And, and I will add, I was that person too, who said, I'm going to own my own clinic. I can't wait to go out and own my own clinic and run it. But but again, life happens. And I met and married someone whose career means we will likely move around. And that that was sort of the first step in realizing we're going to have to balance that. And is that really what I want? Or is that just what I assumed that I wanted? Right. So now after Peoria, is that when you landed in DC or, you know, that area? Okay. So, and we had the added wrinkle of moving out here when I was nine months pregnant with my first child. 
But of course, Amy, but of course. <laughs> I mean, we can't do anything easy. Right. If you're going to move, why not move a couple of weeks before your sure. baby is born? Exactly. Perfect. Sounds great exactly. to me. New but, doctor. That. but that is life. That is life. Yeah. And if you're listening today, I'm sure we can all relate in our own way to that exact scenario. It's like, yeah, we, we say we're in control and we say we've got this planned out. And look, I'm a goal setting fanatic, but the reality is suddenly your wife doesn't get pregnant or she does get pregnant and you can't time this stuff. No. So here, here we arrive in Northern Virginia. I have already decided that I had scaled back in clinical practice, which part-time was fantastic. It was a really good balance for me. I started doing some other things, um, doing some writing, doing some contracting projects. Then I come here, I decide, okay, I'm going to have this baby and I'm going to wait and see what happens because I know I don't want to work full-time in a clinic. I don't know if you guys are familiar with childcare costs out here, but it will make your head explode. And it just was something that I didn't feel the need to do right then. I was happy right. to take a break, step back, and kind of see what what happened. And enjoy motherhood. I mean, you know, that that's the, those are the, the I will say, you know, Laura and I were were not able to step back at that period. We were able to step back later in the children's life. But, you know, so I look, I I'm a huge fan of this. Having now two grown kids, you know, I'm God bless you, Amy. Well, I'll tell you my stepping back lasted about eight weeks, but <laughs> it was great. <laughs> well, wait, what caused you to step forward or leap forward? So I had, I had written, I had been connected through a, a friend I had met through the VBMA with Brief Media when I lived in Peoria. I had written a couple articles. I moved here. I was home with my young infant and an opportunity came up to do just a few hours a week um, doing some further work for Brief Media. And it's like, sure, I would love to have something to do that is not caring for a tiny human. Um, so that that's really when my my career with Brief Media started. I was I was in a new city. I was not in clinical practice. I had an infinite home and this amazing opportunity sort of fell in my lap. Okay, and this is where it comes in, and you guys started calling me creepy, but your involvement with Brief Media, it, it became part of getting the content out to people that they're they're currently consuming. And, you know, when we were talking about having you on the show, it occurred to me, like, we don't necessarily think about the people behind the content that we're reading and who they are and their backgrounds. And that there are some brilliant, educated, hardworking veterinarians out there who are delivering this content to make sure that it's relevant and accurate out there. And I think that's a really important thing that you're doing. And I think it's important yes. to recognize it when we have veterinarians who are in a position that you were in. And, you know, when you were talking, it occurred to me, you talked about your whole life growing up. You you just didn't see obstacles as, as roadblocks. You just knew there was a way to work through them. You always felt empowered. And I think that maybe that leads to your success story because you were able to say, I, I, I'm not happy. You were able to say, I want to step back, but you were also able to say, I, I want to try something different. I think there's a lot of veterinarians out there who, who cannot admit that to themselves or make that leap or make that step. And they don't want to get out of veterinary medicine. It's important to know that there are all these alternate paths and journalism is one of them. So what was it like for you kind of making that transition more and more and seeing the importance of the content that you were bringing? So I'll get to that in one second. I just want to backtrack to what you just said, Becky, and and how I was able to recognize and step back and change what I was doing. Right. And I just have to point out how fortunate I was that I was married 
financially we were stable and I had the luxury of doing that. And right. I think that's a difference that a lot of a lot of my colleagues unfortunately are not in a position where they have the luxury of saying I'm not going to work for 8 weeks or I'm going to stop working and not know what's lined up next. I I it definitely I want to point out how fortunate I was to be in that situation. Yeah. But still, how do you, you know, a lot of people are are listening today and they're going, you know, yeah, something about my life I'm not happy with, but they don't know how to take that first step. So what, what bit of advice, you know, luxury or not, just how can they start to initiate change in your opinion? For me, the biggest thing was not saying no to opportunities. Yes. Um, yeah. and, and that's something that I have carried with me now for the last six years that I've been doing something sort of alternative is there are a lot of things that that come across my email. Will you do this? How does this sound? Can you try this? Including this podcast that honestly (laughs) scare me to death. Like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know. I don't know how to write an article. I don't know about building an online course, but I'm willing to try and see where it goes. And I think that mindset of, sure, I'll try. I'm not going to be perfect at everything that I do, but it's something interesting and might open further doors that I think is what has served me the best over the last six years. You know, Amy, I, I, I love that you said that. And, and this is one of my biggest contentions with our profession. And look, I've, I've made a lot of concessions in my perspectives, but I've always believed that one of our greatest values is this liberal arts experience. You know, I took a lot of philosophy and creative writing. You know, I took, uh, I took some political science classes. I mean, I mm-hmm. took a lot of stuff that I didn't have to. And my, all of my counselors were like, you're crazy. You're never going to get into vet school taking all this bizwack. but it helps inform you and helps give you a different, unique perspective on life. And this is one of the things I hate because I think we have really trapped ourselves into a very vertical, linear profession now where it's all science, 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 you know, it's just this, this, this. And, and I really want us to be more creative and freer, be more flexible thinkers, you know, and, and I, I, as I'm listening to your story, you once again, in my opinion, at least to me, validate that pathway. And so I really, if you're listening today and you're, you want to be a veterinarian, you're, you're one of those younger listeners that we have, you know, I would really encourage you to expose yourself to as many different things. It's not that you're going to stray from the path necessarily, but I think later in life, as life turns in unexpected ways, you may just find that you can navigate it much more successfully. I absolutely agree with that. I think it just makes you a more well-rounded person, more open to other opportunities, and and it helps you think differently that can only serve you well as you move forward. Yeah. And so I and, and guess kind of just getting back to how you were moving forward with all of this, are you still currently practicing? Do you still work in a practice? So I did take four years completely out of clinical practice. During that time, I was working exclusively with Brief Media and some other communication education opportunities. For the last um, year and a half, I have been back in clinical practice on a very limited basis. I, I do some relief work for a practice here in town once, once or twice a month. And it's perfect. I love being able to go back in and get my hands on the animals and talk with clients and work with the staff. And it reminds me, sort of, it grounds me in the basis of who we're serving and who we're educating with our content. But I still get to walk out the door at the end of my shift and not carry all that stress with me. That's pretty, I mean, that's pretty amazing. And I think that's, for a lot of people out there, I think they need to hear that. They need to hear that there are, are are ways to move around this industry and within this profession that you can find your happy, 
You can find your, you know, balance within your career that keeps you motivated, keeps you inspired and contributing in a way that feels positive in, in being able to recognize if it doesn't feel positive anymore. And, you know, kind of before we let you go, um, we've really I mean, we've talked about all of these things that you're doing, but there's a there's a lot to it. So how do you kind of balance all of that now? Because we're talking about um, you've got family, you've got your job with Brief Media and some relief work. A lot of people out there have a hard time balancing. So what are your tricks for balancing all that? So before we move on to that, let me just go back to what you said. One point about taking a break from practice, trying something different. Let me just say that it's never too late to go back to practice. You can't be afraid to leave. You can't be afraid you're going to forget how to be a clinical vet. There are resources to help you get back up to speed, but I went back to it without four years, with four years of no practice. And there was it was like muscle memory. It was so smooth. So right. don't be afraid to, to step back from practice if you need to. Now, looking at balance and how I juggle all these different things, I will tell you there's no such thing as balance. No. Right? no. Something <laughs> is always, you know, weighing more heavily than the others. I try, and, and you guys know this from trying to schedule this podcast, I try really hard to be protective of my, of my calendar and and schedule this amount of time for this commitment and this amount of time for this commitment and this amount of time for my kids and this amount of time where I'm not going to schedule anything. My calendar is my life and setting those boundaries in black and white on an actual calendar has really helped me. Yeah, it's a it's a control. I mean, this is where people lose sight. There are so many things within your busy life that you can and directly control and you should. And when people feel, oh, I'm out of control or I'm just overdone or this or whatever, I kind of sit back just like you, Amy, and I go, okay, well, let's actually look at it. Let's write it down and let's see what your responsibilities are and then where is some latitude. And I'm going to tell you, you're almost always going to find some daylight in that schedule that means time for your family or yourself. And, and I will say, I by no means have figured out how to do that. I am no. a regular guilty person of saying I'm completely overwhelmed. I've taken on too much. I'm not great at saying no to things that interest me, but I'm conscious of that and working on it and trying to figure out how to balance. Right. And Amy, the secret is it's about 80%. You get it right. And the 20% that gets completely turned around, life happens and you you roll with it. Right. But exactly. I, I do believe strongly that you can control most of this and you can have a pretty happy, balanced, quote unquote, uh, meaningful life. And, and, you know, again, the other thing, um, it's chapters. Your life is a series of chapters and you really do need to plan that book out early in advance. At least that's been my experience and understand there are going to be chapters of your life that are really skewed towards one thing. In our case, it was all about our profession, building a business, you know, Laura and I together. Then the next chapter became one of having young daughters, you know, and then now we're entering into another chapter where kids are gone. So I, I, I love the fact, Amy, that you own it. We all own it. It's not perfect, but balance is a bit unrealistic for most of us. But can you get it 80% right? And have you even taken the time and effort to try to get it right? That's where I have the biggest contention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think anything to Dr. Amy's point, you have to schedule it. You have to schedule your fun. You yep. have to schedule your work and you have to stick to it. Um, I don't think balance comes. We have to create it. Yep. You have to find the ways to schedule in all the things that are important and that includes your family and your free time. And and you know what? Perfection is super boring. So it's not about perfection. <laughs> it's about recognizing the areas where you can improve and you can balance. So Dr. Amy, I hope you are always a work in progress because you are fabulous just the way you are. Amazing. But I oh, love, I so love nice. 
that any improvement, that self-inflection and saying, how can I do this better and how can I help other people do it better? So I, I can't thank you enough. I could talk to you about this all day long, but I think we have to kind of wrap that conversation up and just just inspire people with everything you've said as far as um, don't be afraid. Find the path, even when it seems there's a roadblock and that balance is, is never going to be there, but that you can take these tips and tricks and hopefully you know, they'll help you find some ways to balance. Yeah. If you like stories like this, let us know. We are available on social media, on Twitter at the Vet Viewfinder, at just Vet Viewfinder, actually at sign Vet Viewfinder. You know how that works. We're on Instagram or on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder. I mean, we want to hear from you. We want to hear, do you like Amy's story? Do you relate to Amy's story? What are your challenges in your life? Do you have life twists that really caught you off guard? And how did you handle them? We want to hear from you. And make sure you go to iTunes. You can find us on any of your favorite podcast platforms. But at iTunes, you can click subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps other people to find our podcast and hear more about fantastic guests like Dr. Amy. So, Dr. Amy, thank you again so much for being here with us today. While you guys are at iTunes, don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Until next time, keep your calendar busy and full, but make sure you include your family. Like Amy said, thank you so much, Amy. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was awesome. That was one of my favorites in a long time. That was really great. Really great.